0: Hello and welcome to the Memory Chapel podcast. Memory Chapel is a small, rural, non-denominational Christian church located on Vanceville Road in 84 Pennsylvania. On this podcast, we feature an edited version of our Sunday morning worship service at the chapel and the Bible teaching of Pastor David All. Thanks for joining us. And now, let's get to the worship. Good morning. good morning. Welcome in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad to have you here on this Thanksgiving week. Thou art my God and I will praise thee. Oh give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Thank we all are God with heart and hands and voices, who wondrous things hath done, in whom his world rejoices, who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts. Of Still is ours today. All praise and thanks to God, the Father now be given, the Son and Him who reigns with them in highest heaven, the one eternal. shall be evermore Hebrews 10:38 Now the just shall live by faith but if anyone draws back my soul has no pleasure in him This is the word of the Lord The just shall live by faith. If you were here last week, you'll remember that I told you that I look at this phrase that's quoted here from the Old Testament prophet Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith. I look at this phrase as the Apostle Paul's calling card. His slogan, uh, I, I told you last week that if he had business cards printed up, it would say something like, The Apostle Paul, called to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, And at the bottom would be the tagline, the just shall live by faith. It's a little phrase from the prophet Habakkuk that the apostle Paul latched onto and he worked it into the letters that he wrote to the churches. And we see it here in verse 38 of chapter 10. The just shall live by faith. We want to unpack that phrase today and have a look at it from a few different perspectives to gain a better understanding of it. Firstly, what does it mean, the just shall live by faith? The justified one, the person who is just, the person who stands right, righteous, in a right relationship with God. That's who we're talking about here. We're talking about the man or woman who stands right before God. In a right relationship with God. That person stands right with God on the basis of faith. That is, on the basis of trust. Trusting in the grace of God. The God who justifies or makes right The ungodly person. I want to explore that idea just a little bit more, and I'm turning to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. The Apostle Paul says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father, that is the father of the Jewish nation, what shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, if he was declared to be right and righteous in a right relationship, a right standing with God on the basis of works, good deeds that are done, well, he would have something to boast about then, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And here the book of Genesis is quoted. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You'll remember that Abraham received some very impressive promises from God. And the remarkable thing about Abraham is not what a saint he was, what a godly do-gooder he was, the remarkable thing about Abraham, for all of us to remember, is this. When God made a promise to Abraham, Abraham believed God. And the scripture says, it was counted to him for righteousness. Uh, that word counted, it, it can be translated reckoned. It's an accounting term. It means in the great big ledger book that God has of all of our lives, God went to the column where it says, righteous, right with me. And God put a check mark in that column for Abraham. And he did it not because Abraham was a perfect person who did a lot of right things. God put that check mark in that column because Abraham believed God's promise. And God said, Though he is not, in many ways, a righteous man, nonetheless, I am going to count him as righteous because he trusts me. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting, believing God at his word, taking God at his word, believing it, trusting his promises. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness Now, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Uh, This is a mouthful, but it's just to say that if you are trying to work, to fill up God's great scale With good deeds, so that hopefully in the end, when you stand before God, the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, therefore gaining you entrance into heaven. If you're going about it that way, you're going about it all wrong. It doesn't work that way. There's nothing that you could do to tip the scales. Because one sin, one act of rebellion against God's will and God's word is more than enough to tip the scales eternally against you. If you're working for it, you're going about it the wrong way. God doesn't owe you a paycheck for any good deeds that you've done. It's not by works. It's by God's grace. What is grace? We saw that word here in these verses. What is it? Someone has defined the word grace in this way God's unmerited favor. God's, it comes from God. Unmerited, that means it's not earned, it's not a paycheck, it's not wages that are paid. It's not earned. It's unmerited. You did nothing to earn it. And favor, it means that God has smiled on you. Not because of something good in you. Not because of something good you've done. God, just because he is magnanimously good and gracious and kind, he has smiled upon you. He has given you his favor. And it's not something that you can earn. Let's continue on by dropping down to verse 20. Romans 4, verse 20. Continuing about Abraham, it says, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. You know, the book of James tells us something about wavering. You know, if we're going to believe God, we need to believe God. We need to trust him, take him at his word, and don't doubt about it. Because anyone who doubts is unstable in their thinking. They're double-minded. Abraham wasn't. He wasn't unstable. He wasn't double-minded. God promised. Abraham believed it. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what God had promised, God was also able to perform. Therefore... It was accounted to him for righteousness. There's that phrase popping up again. God counted Abraham's faith for righteousness. Now, it was not written for Abraham's sake alone that it was counted to him or imputed to him. Also for us, it shall be imputed to us. That word imputed means accounted it shall be counted to us also, just like Abraham. If we, like Abraham, believe God at his word, trust in his promises, it will be counted to us. That check mark will go in the column of that ledger book, the same as it went in there for Abraham. Abraham, in other words, was not a special case, it wasn't a, uh, an example of God making an exception. No, Abraham was not an exception. He was an example, an example of God's grace. What God will do for any soul who simply takes him at his word, believes his promises, it will be accounted to you as well for righteousness. The righteousness that you need in order to stand before a holy God. You don't have it. Not on your own, and neither do I. I do not have what I need in order to be able to stand before a holy God. I won't be able to stand. On my own, I would be judged, condemned as a sinner, deserving of darkness and hell. That's what I've earned. And that's what you've earned too. I'm not picking on you. I'm just telling you what God has said in his word. That's what we've all earned. We don't have the righteousness that we need in order to stand before God. But the one who trusts God's promises, God's promise to supply you with a righteousness, to supply you with a white robe that can cover your shame. The righteousness of Jesus Christ himself. God has promised to give that righteousness to you. Then you will have something wherewith you can stand before God on that day of judgment. When you give an account to God for all the things that you've done in this body, you will have a covering. You will have a shield. You will have a righteousness, not your own but the righteousness of Jesus Christ that has been given to you, supplied to you, so that you can stand before God. This promise wasn't just for Abraham. Verse 24, It shall be counted to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification, continuing down into chapter 5, the first two verses. Therefore, Having been justified by faith, because we have been justified by faith. Justified, it means to be made right with God. Because we've been made right with God. On what basis? The basis of our good deeds? No, on the basis of faith, like Abraham, simply trusting God's promises. Because of this, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. A few minutes ago, I gave you a definition of the word grace, God's unmerited favor. Another one I'll throw out here for you right now. For those of you who like acronyms, take the letters of the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's Riches. Who pays the bill? At Christ's expense. (laughs) Nothing's free. Someone pays for everything. Just because something is free for you and me doesn't mean that it wasn't purchased and paid for at a great cost. God's riches are given to you. He's giving you everything. It was paid for, though. It came at Christ's expense. It is through faith Faith in the righteous one, trusting the righteous one himself, Jesus Christ, who has a righteousness that he can give to you and give to me so that we can stand blameless before the throne of God. It's by God's grace, his unmerited, unearned favor, his riches given to you and me at Christ's great expense, his great cost. That is how we are made just, Declared by God to be righteous and right with him. The just shall live by faith. I'll turn you to one more verse here before we move to the next point. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Just to drive the point home. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. You didn't earn it. It's the gift of God. It's not a gift if you try to work for it, if you try to earn it. Salvation, being made right with God so that you have peace with him, is a gift, a gift of his grace, which you receive through faith. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. The just shall live by faith, Continuing on, I want to show you how the person who is right with God, this just person, this just man or woman who is declared to be right with God, continues to walk by faith. It's not the case that receiving God's gracious gift, trusting his promises, it's not like that gets your game piece onto the playing board. And now you start to work as you make your way around the board. It's not like that. The gift is received by faith and the life is lived by faith. You continue in that same faith, the faith that you use to receive God's gift, you continue to live in faith. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. We won't turn to it, but I'll quote it for you quickly. The Apostle Paul says, We live by faith, not by sight. There's going to be a certain amount of trust that's involved in living the Christian life. As we go through it day by day of our lives, week by week, month by month, year by year, there's going to need to be some Trust faith. We're going to have to trust God, trusting that the one who declared us to be righteous will carry us through to the very end so that we can stand justified before him on the basis of faith. Galatians chapter 3, Galatians chapter 3 verses 2 through 3. The Galatian people, these were mostly Gentile people, The Apostle Paul had gone and preached the gospel to them, and they had believed God's promises, just like Abraham long ago believed God's promises. These people had believed God's promises. They had faith in God. God, the one who justifies the ungodly person. They believed. They believed the good news about Jesus Christ. God's son, how he came, died upon the cross, was buried, raised on the third day, ascended into heaven. They believed that good news. The apostle Paul eventually moved on to take that good news to other places, other regions. And then he heard a report at some point later on. He heard that these people in Galatia who had initially received this good news about Jesus with so much joy, with so much gratitude, they had fallen away from it. Having believed, having placed their faith in God, they were now trying to live the life through works, through the Old Testament law of the Jews. They weren't continuing to walk in faith. Galatians 3, verses 2 and 3, the apostle Paul says to them, this only I want to learn from you. I, I want to know one thing. You tell me one thing. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law of Moses or by the hearing of faith? Paul says, tell me one thing. You're so convinced that you need to live your life at this point, not by faith, but by rigidly observing the Old Testament law of Moses, tell me, when you received the Holy Spirit, did that happen because you were keeping the law of Moses? Or did that happen because you heard the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you believed and were saved? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is obvious. They received God's Spirit when they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't receive God's Spirit by keeping an Old Testament law. Let's continue. Verse 3. Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect or complete by the flesh? That is, by keeping fleshly ordinances, rules, commandments, ceremonial observances, which were nothing more than shadows in the Old Testament of that which was to come, that which was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Are you being made complete? Having entered in by faith, are you now made complete by rules and rituals? The answer's obvious. You can't be made complete by those things. Now, it may seem strange to say, but there are Christians today who are in the same kind of danger that the Galatians... Christians were in. There are Christians today who try to fall back to the Old Testament law of Moses. They are trying to complete what Jesus has already finished. You can't do it. It might not be the Old Testament law that's tripping you up. It might be something else. Something else that you're trusting in. It might be your own little set of man-made or woman-made rules that you hold yourself to and you hold everyone else in your life to. A certain standard that God hasn't set. There might be something that you are falling back to and you are saying, yes, I believe Jesus, but... Or, yes, I trust God's promise in the gospel, plus... Anytime you add something to the good news, the gospel of Jesus, you just lost the gospel of Jesus. You can't add anything to it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it stands alone. It is the only way to be justified, made right with God. And it's on the basis of faith. You remember I told you that the Apostle Paul, if he had a business card at the bottom, it would say the just shall live by faith. Well, I will go so far to say that if God had a business card, it would say the one who justifies the ungodly. That's what it would say across the bottom. There's a lot of things it could say, but I think that God takes great pleasure In being the one who justifies the ungodly. And that's just backwards from how we would put it. We would think that God would justify the good person, the right person. Back in Jesus' day, there were lots of quote-unquote good, righteous people. There were Pharisees. There were scribes. They kept the law of God to the smallest detail. Even the little indoor herb garden that they had on the kitchen window. They would go through and they would carefully pull off 10% of all of the leaves of those herbs and they would give those as a tithe offering at the temple. They were meticulous. And Jesus told the people, unless your righteousness goes beyond the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you don't have a shot. You will have a chance of seeing the kingdom of God. And yet, Jesus dined with prostitutes and tax collectors. And he said that they were entering the kingdom of God ahead of all of the scribes and Pharisees. Why was that? Certainly their righteousness didn't exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees, did it? Of course it didn't. But they weren't trusting on their own righteousness. They were trusting in the righteousness of the one who promised that the just shall live by faith, not by performance, by faith, by simply trusting in the God who justifies the ungodly. Oh, it's beautiful stuff. But I want to quickly go to our last point today. We already looked at the person who is right with God is right on the basis of faith. Trusting God's promises. We looked at the person who is right with God continues to walk by faith. Faith doesn't just get you in the door and then you have to perform. You continue to walk by faith in God's promises. But thirdly, the person who is right with God will live thankfully. And this is the tie-in with our holiday week. The person who is right with God Will live thankfully because thankfulness is the natural thing that comes out of being justified by faith, by the grace of God. Because God has done it, because God has done what we could not do for ourselves and has freely given it to us, the natural response should be thankfulness, an attitude of gratitude is what should naturally come out of this arrangement not just on the day that you believe the gospel and are saved but throughout your lives as you continue to live by faith in God's promises an attitude of gratitude should prevail it should be the predominant attitude and yet in the new testament we see many places where The apostles instruct the believers in Christ to be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. There's so many we could turn to and we won't look at all of them. But very quickly, I want to show you just a few. Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one, verses 16 through 21. We will not be reading all of this, but I want to point out the section to you. Romans chapter one, 16 through 21. The apostle Paul is Going through a bit of a history lesson here. And he's showing what humanity apart from God has been like. And it's been a train wreck, it's been a mess. And he goes down through a whole long laundry list of attitudes, conditions, dispositions, sins, all kinds of stuff that would make great National Enquirer headlines. And as he goes down through this list, this indictment of mankind before the throne of God, we come to verse 21. He says, humanity, because they knew God, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. Imagine that. That little word thankful makes it into this list, this indictment against humanity. All of these horrible things, if you read the chapter, you'll see them. All kinds of bad things that human beings have done ever since our oldest set of grandparents decided to eat that fruit and rebel against God. All kinds of terrible things in human history. And yet, right there in the middle of the list, neither were they thankful. God notices. God notices a thankful heart. He notices the lack of, Of thankfulness. In our story with the children earlier, Jesus took note that of the ten who were healed, only one returned to give thanks. Moving on to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 3. Ephesians 5, verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, not appropriate, but rather giving of thanks. What is appropriate? Giving thanks, being thankful to God and expressing it. That is always appropriate. Drop down to verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Giving thanks all the time for all things, and submitting to each other, putting others ahead of yourself. I submit to you that you cannot do that. You cannot submit to each other and prefer others above yourself if you're not thankful. It's only if you have a thankful heart that you are able to submit yourself to your brother, to your sister, and put their interests ahead of your own. If there is not thankfulness in your heart, you can't do it. You won't do it. Or if you try to do it, you'll just do it in a mechanical sort of fashion, like you're checking off an item off of a to-do list. It won't be real. It won't be from the heart. Moving along quickly, Philippians. We're just moving through the New Testament. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Philippians 4. 4 through 7, the Apostle Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. He wrote this from a prison cell when he was in shackles and chains. This is not coming from a man who's living his best life now. This is coming from a man who's in a prison. It's cold. There's not enough food. There's a bad draft. It leaks. And his wrists and feet are probably rubbed raw from the chains and he says rejoice in the lord always again i will say rejoice let your gentleness be known to all men the lord is at hand be anxious for nothing don't worry but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Don't worry. Make your requests known to God and do it with thanksgiving. Do it with gratitude. One more to turn to. First Thessalonians. We're just marching our way to the right through our Bible. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 through 18. As the Apostle Paul is closing out this letter to the Thessalonian believers, he has this, this list, this laundry list of attitudes and actions that he wants to see going on in their lives. And beginning in verse 16, he says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean that you, you spend 24 hours a day like this. But it means that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, be ready at a moment's notice to slip into a conversation with God. Pray without ceasing. Be ready to call upon him in any and every situation. And it doesn't have to be with head bowed and eyes closed and hands folded neatly in our laps. Just be ready to talk to God with your eyes open. Whatever you're doing at any time. And some people will think you're crazy. They'll think you're talking to yourself. But you're talking to someone. You're talking to your father. Pray without ceasing. Verse 18. Here's the clincher. In everything, give thanks. In everything? Yeah. In everything. Because it's all grace. Everything is grace. This is coming from the man who suffered unspeakable, nearly unbearable things for the name of Jesus Christ. He's the one who wrote these words, and he says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you said, man, I just wish I knew what God's will was for my life? Have you ever been there? You ever hear someone say that? I just want to know what God's will is. I have a friend who used to stress about that. He used to stress and worry. I just want to make sure I'm doing God's will. Any decision he made, I want to make sure I'm doing God's will. Well, here's one thing you don't have to wonder about or worry about. What is God's will for you and for me? It's that we give thanks. In everything, give thanks. Thankfulness It naturally comes out of being justified freely by the gift of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. It should fill our hearts and overflow. The interesting thing about thankfulness, if our hearts are not thankful, if we're not filled with gratitude, there will be other things that will take its place. You know the old saying, nature abhors a vacuum. Nature doesn't like empty spaces. If there's an empty space, it will be filled. If your heart is not filled with gratitude to God, thankfulness for what he's done for you, you'll fill it with other things, and you won't like the looks of it. It'll be ugly. If our hearts are filled with gratitude because we've rightly understood the gospel of how God in his grace, not because we deserved it, but because he is kind and good, reached down in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for our sins, to supply us with a righteousness on the basis of simply holding on our hands and receiving it and saying, thank you. If we've understood that, gratitude naturally follows Someone has said, if the only prayer you ever pray in your life is thank you, it will be enough. Now, I'm not sure I totally agree with that, but I think the point is well made. Certainly, you have to cry out to God for mercy, ask for forgiveness for your sins, but thank you is appropriate. Thank you for what you've done, Father. Thank you for what you've done, Lord Jesus. Let that gratitude fill your hearts this season. Let it flow out. And it'll keep a lot of bad things out of here, too. Let's be thankful together as we seek the Lord in prayer. Our Father, how grateful we are that you have done for us what we could never have done for ourselves. You have made peace. You have reconciled us to yourself through the death, burial, resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. You have supplied us with a righteousness that is not our own in that we did not produce it, but we receive it by faith, simply trusting your promise. We thank you that you take such great pleasure in being the God who justifies and makes right the ungodly man or woman. We thank you for your grace, for your love, and for the pleasure that you take in saving people who don't deserve it, people such as us. We give you thanks today. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for having tuned in with us today. We hope you found the time in worship and the Word to be encouraging, challenging, and strengthening. If so, we'd love to hear from you. We realize there are so many ways you could spend your time. We're glad you chose to spend it with us in worship and the Word. Until next time, may the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be with you all today, this week, and forever.